0: Welcome to the Male Fertility podcast, a podcast designed to help, support, and educate men as they go through their own fertility struggles. Hi, I'm Kieran.
1: And I'm Sean. And we'll do that by sharing our stories of what we went through, as well as having guests share their knowledge and experience. Right, let's get into today's episode. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hello. Welcome to uh, our second episode. Um, This is all going to be all about Kieran's story today, which I'm really looking forward to hearing. Uh, Kieran's been doing all of his homework and has some lots of <laughs> notes in front of no. him. And... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you know, it was, um, as I said to you just before we came on here, mate, like I, surprising the amount that I've kind of blocked out or don't seem to have any kind of memory of, um, and you know, us talking about it, like this seems to be a quite a common theme, um, almost like a bit of uh, post-traumatic stress, yeah. Even though it's, you know, it's a strong term that, but it's really traumatic, you know, like just reading through it. And I think, oh, I, I clearly don't remember that or I thought that happened here or this happened then. And so, it's, you know, it's been a bit of a, a walk down memory road for me while I've been uh, looking into this. So I can't wait to tell it. And um, I really hope some listeners get some benefit from it. So I'm sure they will.
1: Absolutely. That's 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 without question. Just any any men sharing their story is Powerful, and so many people will get so much from this. Whether it is those men that go through it, or their partners who want to know how to support them. But like we said, this is why we're doing this. So, but yeah, it's all good. And actually, I had the the same thing when I first started sharing my story. I did a, a timeline of of what I, you know, my what I could remember we went through. And by the time I then sat down with Jenna, and she. We'll just go what about this what about that my timeline was messy as hell because it was <laughs> arrows going in there was just so much stuff that I missed out and it is that kind of trauma aspect of it because you go tunnel vision sometimes and but you know this is what we're here for is to deconstruct that and to help help people um just be a bit more clear in their their journeys through it hopefully and and to know what to expect what's coming but uh yeah
0: that's the aim isn't it so um yeah, I can't wait to talk about it tonight. Not that I yeah. like talking about myself, <laughs> <laughs> but like it's, it's the majority of it is like uh, you know, there's a spiel in my head that just comes out, but actually, I've looked at it and gone, "Oh, it's a bit more than I thought." So, anyway, mate, yeah. before we talk about that, how are you doing? you all right? good,
1: yeah, yeah. It's um, half term, which brings its own challenges and. Um, Delights and challenges, you know, it's it's great spending a bit extra time with the kids when they're not at preschool. But, um, like we mentioned just before we hit record, I mean, Evelyn just woke up today and it's just one of those days where she just chose rage from the (laughs) outset (laughs) and it never really changed all day. And um, it's been a hectic day. And like, then we put them to bed and she was being so sweet in bed. And it's like suddenly that, like, kind of almost 20 minute switch. To, to just being so nice and and saying and she's so cheeky as well but it'd be like right it's time to go to bed she would be like cuddle me daddy so give her a cuddle and then she's like no no cuddle in bed because then she knows i'm got gonna get in and, <laughs> and there's a good chance i might fall asleep and then she gets a nice long cuddle but she just i love like the little you know she's two and a half years old and just to know the little intricacies and then she's like little tickle and then she likes, she likes being tickled on her hand. And then she yeah. quickly flips up her elbow and wants to be tickled on, on her elbow. And I'm like, there you go, night, night. And she's like, <laughs> no, no, other hand too.
0: I think that's called uh, manipulation, mate. <laughs> she's learning it already.
1: I'm 40 years old. I've been getting manipulated by women <laughs> for a long time.
0: <laughs> and one of them's two and a half. Yeah. exactly. it's like, like, I get it with Venya. Like, you try and be the solid dad sometimes. Like, yeah, you put the boundaries in place. But I don't know, they just got this look and you're like, mm. oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I I don't
1: even, I, I'm not even fighting it. I know I am. She's got me wrapped around her little finger and I and I don't care. I love it. I and actually, I went downstairs after that and said to Jenna, I was like, that today was hard. And she was like, Phew, wasn't it just? And then I, I said, but that. Just that little bit at the end, just it makes me want to go and like wake her up and just yeah. start all over again. But it just it re recharges your batteries. And perhaps they know what they're doing, like you know, like you said, a bit of manipulation. But she knows. Then she, she's filling me with so much love to then go again tomorrow, no matter how what or what mood she wakes up in. But yeah, it's good. Um, took awesome. Ray to get a haircut, which he hates. Press oh, him, yeah. and that was hard work. Um, and so we're actually now at, at the stage where we're like. Might just let him grow it out for a while um because we don't want to put the poor lad through something he's hating and he'll do it when so, he's ready yeah. you know like they, yeah
0: they all have their own phases don't they um, yeah and like yeah you don't want it to be like a traumatic thing that he remembers <laughs> no no exactly like put him in a straight jacket the or something <laughs> scared of scissors for the rest of his life <laughs> yeah
1: yeah now we're gonna we'll, we'll leave it we've actually discussed whether we might even learn how to cut hair like this yeah, yeah. how like, just because you do anything for them, you know, you don't want to put them in any kind of distress. No. And but that, that, that'll certainly be the last haircut we're getting for a while and yeah, see sure. what happens, see what happens. But yeah, good, mate. You
0: same thing, really, mate. It's a half term, and yes, your today was my yesterday. <laughs> like, uh, Enya was on one, um, she's a very strong willed little lady, uh, where Seb is like, you know, the. Uh, the Mr. Soft advert. Yeah. I remember like years ago, that just soft that walked along like just floppy. That's Sebi. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. care about much. He, as long as he's fed, he's quite happy. Where well, Enya wants everything like perfect and I want it now. So I need it now. Uh, so yesterday was a tough day, but today's been fine. We went swimming today. Uh, she had her first eye appointment, which was interesting. She suddenly became the most shy person in the world. Um, And I also, I treated them to a McDonald's today, which I usually don't do. I'm a, you know, you know me, mate, I'm big on my health and things like that. But I just try, I'm trying to break the ice Mm. (laughs) with a very uh, frosty daughter sometimes. So, um, yeah, we had a little, we had a little cheeky McDonald's and then, yeah, I've just been doing other bits and bobs, so nothing, nothing major, uh, but it's just nice to have that time with them. Yeah, that little bit of relaxed time Um, because next week it all starts again and uh, back to the the chaos uh, for six weeks.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, a little bit of trivia for you before we get into today's episode. I found this out recently. Actually, I can't reference it. I heard it on another podcast. So if it is wrong, then forgive me, everyone. But it still sounds interesting anyway. How many ingredients are in McDonald's fries?
0: Oh, you're going to scare me now. I don't know. 37? <laughs> God, oh, you just blow me out of the
1: water there. No, I mean, like, most people would be like, okay, well, it is potato, that's one, and maybe salt and oil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, three. 17.
0: 17.
1: 17.
0: 17. Yeah, man, that's not good, is it? I saw something as well once. Like, they don't um, go moldy and things, and they only use a certain type of potato. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad. Like, if they're left. Like on the side they don't decompose like normal food mm. because of what they're cooked in wow um, but i'm pretty sure like when this is going back to like the uh, um the ivf type of stuff it, my, jim was told to eat like fatty yeah. things, like a mcdonald's fries after the transfer yeah I'm pretty there's sure a, it there's
1: a big myth going around um Amongst in in the IVF community about women eating McDonald's fries after
0: transfers, yeah, I just think that's because they want some McDonald's fries. Like, (laughs) 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 I I don't know the research behind it, so I'm only joking, but um, yeah, I remember a big thing about it like, a really big thing that and I had to wear orange pants, like orange, nice. Like, Jen was like, You've got to wear orange, it's good luck for fertility. And then (laughs) I got into a discussion about how I don't believe in luck, and with a highly pumped up wife with hormones in her. I was gonna lose that battle all day, mate. So I just wore, I wore the orange pants. <laughs> I got a
1: funny story about pants, but we'll save that for another episode. This is yeah, yours.
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry mate. I kind of we, we might get a bit uh mistracked some points, won't we? <laughs> yeah. It'd be humorous.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. But uh right, well on that note, it's um we're nine minutes in, so let's let's get it on, shall we? It's uh <laughs> it's yeah, all yeah, about man. you today, Kieran. It's your story, your way to um kind of introduce the The pain, but the joy at the end of it. So yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to hearing it. So, like, my story starts. Me and Jen got married in 2011, uh, in December, and we'd we kind of for a while we hadn't been trying not to get pregnant because we knew we were getting married, but it hadn't worked, and we kind of anticipated Jen might need uh, some help because she's got polycystic ovaries. So we were kind of expecting to you know, she might need some Clomid or something along those lines, just to kind of get a kind of into a regular cycle. Um, and so after we got married, uh, we went to the doctors and said, look, we've been trying for a while. And, uh, they kind of did all the checks on Jen. Um, and at that time we had no, I had no, I had no concerns about me and Jen had no concerns about me. Um, and then in early 2012, uh, just before they kind of gave it a prescription for Clomid, um, they were like, Well, we need to just check your husband, it's a routine thing, we've got no concerns about it. And uh, so I went and gave a semen sample in 2012. That in itself, um, it's an experience <laughs> that we would discuss in a later episode. Um, but uh So I gave the sample and then a couple of weeks later, we got called back into the the consultation uh, to to see the consultant. And um, he sat down and he said, look, Jen, we can get you ovulating. That's fine. Um, And he turned to me and he said, but there's not much we can do for you, Kieran. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? There's not much you can do for me. Like, I kind of brushed it off as like a, just a comment and then at that point he realized that i had no idea uh, about my infertility i didn't wow. know about it yeah yeah it was like it was literally like us having this conversation and you telling me like it was my that word blend. And then there was kind of a real kind of change of atmosphere in the room. I distinctly remember this. It felt like a complete out-of-body experience. Most people have been through a stage where you hear about someone you love has died or something's happened. And you have that absolute moment of panic, that out-of-body experience. It happened to me then. And my heart was racing. And I felt like I was watching the whole conversation from the side. That kind of quickly altered back to me being in the room and kind of conscious of what was going on. But I used to do a lot of like bodybuilding uh, and and like lifting because I played rugby and but uh, I never took any like stimulating drugs or anything but he the doctor immediately asked me have you ever taken steroids I said no and he he asked me again he's like you can tell me if you have because it's very effective on your your fertility I was like no never taken any steroids. And it was almost like he was trying to immediately find a reason of why I might have not known, if that makes sense. So I kind of left that room in a bit of a a daze and kind of I can't really remember the rest of the conversation because Jen took over. Because she could see that I was just like, what the fuck? That's how I felt. Um, And then when I left, um, we were told that I'd need to do another sample. Uh, and then on like over the next couple of days, I was I convinced myself that they'd got it wrong, um, and that this next sample it was just a blip. They got it wrong, uh, and it would all be all right. Um, anyway, I did the sample again, and the same result came back. Um, at this time it was worse. We we had an over the phone consultation because I couldn't get there, and uh, they told me that I basically produced like fifteen hundred sperm in my count. And um, less than 1% of that was deemed viable. So they like thought like if they could find 15. I don't know how they exactly measure it. But yeah, so my count was low. My mobility and my morphology was just like crashed. Like, there was nothing there. So as you can tell, like it was a complete shock. And for a long time, I still denied it. I was like, they've got it wrong. It'll be fine. And then we decided in the summer of 2012 that we were going to move. Uh, And we moved from Sussex, where we were living, to Bedfordshire. And what happened when we moved was uh, we got, because we've relocated uh, under the policy in Bedfordshire, we had to live there for a year before uh, we could access uh, fertility treatment on the NHS. Now, the benefit, we moved because of Jen's work. At the time, I literally just finished uni. I was a bit of a late bloomer at uni. So we moved there uh, and there was a benefit of moving. Like in Sussex, we would have only got one round on the NHS. Where well, in Bedfordshire we got three. Uh, but we didn't we didn't move for that reason. We moved for Jen's Jen's work. So, you know, there was a silver lining in that way. But yeah, so we had to go on this year's waiting list, despite them receiving my um, my results and knowing it's never gonna happen. I, sh- I just don't have the the quality uh, yeah. to, to do it which was really frustrating, and that was a difficult year. We were literally sat on our hands waiting. Mm. Uh, That's what I was
1: going to ask, really. So you've had those tests. You've literally had a professional sit opposite you and say, Kieran, there's not much we can do for you. You've you've had those cold, hard, light of day results given to you on a piece of paper, presumably, where your count is 1,500, and like you said, your motility and your morphology was like shot to pieces. Yeah so like that tell me about that year
0: it was just do you know what it, it it was the start of my real big downfall like I'll get into it in more detail at some point but it was a slippery slope I was still kind of in the denial stage I was still denying it and I think part of it was because we weren't moving forward in our treatment so we were just stuck at the door if that made sense like there they hadn't given me any additional facts for me to go, oh, actually, yeah, I need to kind of process this differently. I'd had two men men's semen uh, assessments and they'd both come back really bad. But that was it. When was this? Oh, 2012. Until 2013, the summer of, we just sat and did nothing. There's nothing we could do. And, um, I mean, there are benefits to it. Like, we moved and we were able to settle where we we moved to without the stresses of a fertility cycle and new jobs came in and we were living in Luton in the time. And it, you know, that's a stressful place to go in itself. Sometimes I, I think I can say that cause I lived there <laughs> for a while. Um, so, you know, we had a lot to kind of deal with on other levels, but it was still hard. It was really hard because especially for Jen, I think, cause Jen really wanted to move forward with it. Um, where I think I was in the mindset of it was difficult and I knew it was going to be difficult. So I was quite happy just to stand still for a while. You know, If I really kind of break it down, um, something I've definitely learned is that men and women process things differently. But now what I do know is that if we'd moved forward quicker, I think I would have processed it quicker. And at the end had a bit better mental health result out of it because mm. um, I found it extremely challenging. That, that kind of empty time
1: yeah so you had a lot of kind of time to think about it and, and in some cases bury your head in the sand as well
0: yeah that's exactly that's exactly what I did I just buried my head I buried my head and almost pretended it wasn't there where it was very active in Jen's mind like she was counting down the days till we can start to the day she can pick up that phone and go right get us in um where i kind of just switched off from it all um mainly because of how i was feeling Mm. um yeah really tricky so in 2000 this is where i'm going to have to refer to all my notes because this is where it all gets gets a bit mayhem so in the summer of 2013 was when we had our first cycle and that was um a real crazy experience, and it was in Bourne Hall as well. So, like mm. Sebi uh, is a baby of Bourne Hall, just like your little ones, mate. And, yeah. And like before, I go into all of that. Like, I just want to like praise the work that they do because it's a phenomenal place. And once we kind of got down the journey, and you know, later on in their journey, they really helped me. But I'll get I'll get to that shortly.
1: I'll, I'll um. Should I tell you how I chose Bourne Hall? Go for it. So um, I'd opened up to work about needing or going through fertility treatment, and then one of my colleagues said, well, Martin and his wife went through that. Like, seriously, what do you lads talk about? And I was like, well, not that. And um, so I started chatting to him about it, and and I said, oh, where did you go? Because we were still in the phase of of looking for our clinics. And he said, oh, we we went to this place in Cambridgeshire called Bourne Hall. He goes, "Um, basically... The, the gaff looks like Bruce Wayne's manor. It's really cool. So I was sold.
0: <laughs> it does as well, doesn't it? It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Jenna, was, um, Jenna did a bit more research than me. That was yeah. mine. I was done. I was in. All in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um, we moved from Sussex to Bedfordshire, and they actually placed us in Bourne Hall, which was amazing. Like Cool couldn't ask for any 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 better treatment anyway so we we had our first cycle and everything went really smoothly like as as smooth as it could go we had ICSI um, and we got a number of embryos uh, and uh, we had one put back in and it took it took so we we were a five-week scan uh, we were deemed pregnant Mm -hmm. because we had a five-week scan there was a Uh, you know, it was a a heartbeat. I think it was a heartbeat then. Um, But we were deemed pregnant at five weeks. I don't know quite how we did it, but we went in for a scan. And um, so we were really happy. We told everyone, Mm. Uh, and this is one of the biggest things that I wish we hadn't done. We told everyone because we were so excited because we'd waited this year. Right. And, uh, and then we went back at seven weeks for another scan and um, there was no, there was no heartbeat. We'd lost oh, the baby. Wait. So we had had a miscarriage. And um, so we had to tell everyone that we'd lost the baby, you know, this early on, um, which was absolutely heartbreaking for both of us. You know, uh, I mean, Jen really did fall apart because we'd waited for so long and this is what we wanted, and this is what we've been working towards. Um, and it's something that we, we definitely learned from. So, our next cycles, we didn't tell anyone. We we opted to keep it to ourselves. And I think having to explain to everyone what had happened made it even harder. So, it's definitely a regret of mine, like going that public that early. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, did the it's, same. Did you? It's, it's,
1: it's really hard because. When you have infertility treatment like often people do know like people knew that we were but not why um, mm-hmm. so jenna shouldered that for years for me she undertook it as couple infertility and, and don't get me wrong like you know we were very much always in it together but the reason for the why we needed it was never disclosed but then because people you know they love and care for you. They're asking where, like, what's going on, what you're doing, and, and with some people and at some times in general, we just said like, don't talk to us anymore about it. We we needed space. But
0: yeah,
1: when it actually came because we'd had so many knockbacks getting to the first transfer when we had it, we told people and we we're like, right, okay, yeah. So you know, pregnant until proven otherwise, and and then we had the. You, you do the the pregnancy test after the two weeks. You'd like the clinic tell you when to do it, and, and ours was positive, and and we were, we we told everyone. We and and the thing is like you know when you don't, I don't know. Some people might, but typically I think most people wait until the twelve week scan, and
0: yeah,
1: we didn't. We we didn't tell every everyone everyone, but a lot of people, and it's yeah. weird because that's so early. And then you, we got to that seven week scan, like you said. I think they call it the viability scan, and yeah. Um, you know, fortunately, in our case, there, there were two little heartbeats. But, um, but I think now, in hindsight, and the thing is, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, but it's such an emotionally driven time. that I realised the fragility of what we had done, and by telling people so early, and, and how delicate things can be that early. But yeah, it's, obviously, uh, in our case, you know, we were, we were very blessed and fortunate that they, they did, they did it go all the way, and there are babies. But
0: it's just you're just pleased it's happened. Like, mm. uh, I, I, I couldn't see it at the time because, you know, we were both, like, absolutely heartbroken. But the positive thing was, we got to a certain point, like, you know, and, and it took, and, um, but you, we couldn't see that at that time. All, all, mm. I still remember the phone call to Jen's mum and dad, like we yeah. FaceTimed them and uh, we had to tell them and then we had to hang up and Jen just sat there and cried and I'm sat there thinking we're doing this because of me, hmm. uh, you know, that real guilt. That's when I think things change from denial to guilt. Yeah. I, I, I started to feel worse about the situation, about myself. Um, and I really started to struggle so that was the summer of 2013. And then we went again in December. Um, you know, everything was, everything was good. So we could have a quick turnaround to try again, which was going to be a Frozen. Um, and the way it worked was a uh, test day, a two-week test day was uh, boxing day. And we were due to go to my mum's boxing day to so we were living in bedfordshire my mum was living down in devon and the fa- whole family was going down um and basically just before we left well jen got up i say just before we left jen got up at the crack of dawn to do this test uh, she was up at four o'clock in the morning and i was up with her and i still remember sitting on the edge of the bath waiting while she did it because it's that intimate isn't it mate you just kind of cool. you're there you're there you're waiting um And there was nothing, nothing, Wow! this one, there was nothing taken. And, you know, this tears started again. That same feeling from me started again. But we hadn't told anyone it's, you know, it's Christmas Eve, Boxing Day, sorry, Um, because we were going, it was just after Christmas Um, and we had to go and put on a happy face for the whole family. Mm. And it was incredibly difficult, mate. It was incredibly difficult and I I, I don't really have many, many words to describe it apart from it was probably the toughest three days of my life. Mm-hmm. Like trying to manage Jen, trying to explain to everyone that Jen's all right. She's just not feeling too well. She just kept going upstairs and having time to herself. And I go upstairs and she'd be upset crying. And then I would go back downstairs and in my head, I'm thinking this is happening because of me. Um, so you can imagine the cycle that just kept re- repeating over those three days. It was incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly difficult. But hey, look, we we slowly processed it. I think the time of year made it more more difficult because if we'd just been able to hide away in our flat on our own, we could have just coped with it. But. Everyone's got an expectation of Kieran at Christmas where I'm the one messing around and having jokes and, and I just wasn't there. Everyone knew something mm-hmm. was wrong, but no one knew what was wrong. Um, I think parents, like my mum uh, and some of my family probably guessed just because they knew things were going on, um, but they probably just put it down to general stress about the whole situation, not the fact that we we'd basically just failed an IV, an um, ICSI treatment. Yeah, so tough. It, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. Uh, and this is like one of those things that, uh, why I've got these notes here, I forgot, I forgot about that boxing day. And I think I forgot wow. about it because I just blanked it out because it was yeah. horrendous. this You know, when I say I forgot, like, I didn't forget completely. I know it's there, but mm. Jen triggered the memory. I was like, oh shit, yeah. yeah. I remember that.
1: that. That really does show how traumatic this is.
0: Yeah the, fact that, yeah. the
1: fact that it did take that kind of working out together of, of what happened when it was and, and the fact that it happened is a yeah, yeah. Like, t- testament to both the fact
0: that... Well, I'll you tell you something, mate. It was the longest five-hour five drive to Devon ever, knowing that mm-hmm. what we were going to. But look, we yeah. got through it, and um, it's a story now. You know, it's something that we tell and I tell it because I want people to know that other people have been through this, how you're feeling. Other people I've talked to have been to family events straight after things like this and there's little ones running around and you're thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here at all. And that's completely fine to feel like that, I think. Yeah. I think if it had been, if it hadn't have been so organized and everyone expecting us, I would have pulled the plug on it and been like, we're yeah. not coming. But yeah. I couldn't. It was family. It was Christmas. Like, it's what that yeah it's Christmas isn't it it's like where where Santa Santa brings you every gift you ever want like didn't yeah, bring it didn't bring
1: it no no some um, I, yeah I remember Christmases like that not quite as um you know as, as traumatic as that but uh, actually had we had our fresh transfer that was we initially had planned which we couldn't um as I explained because of the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome but mm. our pregnancy test would have been on Boxing Day actually that year as well yeah. Um, it's, but yeah, uh, just to, it's, it's so so far to, to crash off the other side of that, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly difficult. I mean, the lucky thing is, that once again, it went smoothly. I mean, it didn't take, but Gem was well after. You know, it's a lot of drugs they pump into into her, and uh, and it, she was all right. So we were able to go again in um, early f- two thousand and fourteen, which was another difficult one because everything was going fine. Um, and then the stimulating drug that they were giving Jen, they, they reduced it, which basically meant that our follicles that were, were growing s- stopped growing and then they started to reduce, which meant uh, we actually ended up having uh, two... We only got two um, eggs from the egg collection. And they were really poor quality, um, and they only got to day two uh, of transfer, and then like, we want to put them back because they're not going to last. Um, and that was frustrating itself because actually it wasn't it wasn't us that uh, had made any like we'd done everything to the book, and it was just a, it's just a medical thing. They reduced it because they were worried she was going to overstimulate. Uh, and it had the opposite effect like mm. it literally it was like pulling the plug on a on a tv it just turned off uh, and started to shrink so uh we had we had them put back and they just didn't take nothing it was um another tough one but that was tough because of we felt like it could have been played out differently And you know, it was the reduction in the drugs that caused the issue not Jen's body, or my body, or you know the, the cells themselves. Um, but then once again, I was back at the f- the point of this is happening because of me. You know, um, more guilt, and I really at that point kind of crashed, and uh, I kind of went into. Well, there's no other way of putting it. I I, I had a complete breakdown, Not a complete breakdown. Um, I'd stopped socializing with my friends. It happened gradually, but it kind of hit me at that point uh, in 2014. So I I stopped socializing with friends. Um, I couldn't do daily function. I I couldn't function in my workplace. I couldn't communicate with Jen effectively. I'd started to drink more again. And um, I was in a real bad, bad place. And we decided that we'd take a break. Um and basically get get our heads in gear, get my head in gear, um, so we could face what was going to be like a a, a a last kind of roll of the dice uh, in the best possible like position we could be in. Um, but it took over a year like to get me right. And this is where Bourne Hall came into its own. Where we, Jen, like reached out to her and said, Look, my husband's in a really bad way. And then, then they got me in and gave me some counseling. And um, I don't say it very often, but uh, like, I, was, I was suicidal at that point. Like I just didn't know what to do. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's a hard thing to say out loud, you know, I just mm-hmm. say that. Uh, uh, but. It's the truth and people need to know that other people feel that way. Um, But it's important that you talk. Those counselling sessions, I'm convinced saved my life. Absolutely saved my life. And basically was able to pull apart all the emotions linked to wanting to be a father uh, and deal with that guilt that I felt connected to the uh all the fertility treatment we're having and what it came down to basically was um so me and my dad now have a really good relationship um, but growing up it was very very uh, strained um and i'm not going to go into like loads of details but it was very difficult Uh, and in the counseling it came out that all i wanted to do really was correct the wrongs that had been done to me and the only way i unconsciously could do that by being a good dad you know so i had a lot to deal with <laughs> uh, and um i i ended up I, I for the first the first three counseling sessions i sat there and just nodded i was like yeah yeah and then jen was basically like look you need to talk you just need to talk. And on that fourth one, I went in and I just started to talk and I sat there and I cried. I mean, and when I cried, I cried for about 45 minutes. And mm. I, at one point I couldn't get a word out for about 15 minutes. And um, I left that counseling room. Like someone had lifted the world off my back. Like it had, it had done so much good. And all I needed was someone to talk to. Mm someone that was disconnected from the whole thing in terms of they weren't going to cause judgment on me. Cause that's what I was afraid of being judged for the fact of I couldn't, in my mind, I couldn't give my wife the one thing that she really wanted. The one thing yeah. that has in brackets, a man I should be able to do. um uh, And my perception of what a man is has completely changed over these years since, since that kind of counseling. So, yeah, it was a really emotional uh, few months for me. Um, But I'd finally managed to feel like I was getting back on my feet. Um, And then I started to look into how I could improve my fertility myself. So I started to um, obviously look into exercise and lifestyle changes because I was just told you need to make some changes, but there was no guidance. Um, So I managed to focus on that with real success uh, and the small changes that I made, the first thing I did was get rid of that alcohol. Um, and it was it was one of the best things I did for that cycle coming up. Uh, it made me able to think clearer. My body responded better. And from the semen analysis that I had, um, alcohol plays a massive part in my fertility health. Um, when I drink, there's a big plummet in the quality of my semen. Uh, so uh, yeah I lost some weight uh, and uh, just kind of started to feel better about myself and better about the situation and it all stems from that bit of counselling
1: hmm.
0: so we actually um, it was July 2015 so our, our last cycle was early 2014 and it wasn't till July 2015 that we went again we had a proper break because I was in such a mess and um what happened was uh it was really successful in terms of uh we had really two really strong embryos um so despite the doctors requesting that we didn't we we wanted both in we asked for them to put both back because it was our last roll of the diocese um and uh, at the seven week scan there was two heartbeats. We had two heartbeats, and uh, of course, we'd been here before, so we were a bit cautious, but we were pleased. We were happy. Um, and then we went back for a twelve-week scan, and there was two um, embryos, but only one heartbeat. So we had lost one of the one of the twins. We we still refer to Sebi as having a twin. Mm. And he he talks, he asks us questions about it and stuff because he's oh, aware of what's him. going on. Yeah. Um, so we had lost uh, one of the twins, but Sebi was still like his heart, little heart was pumping strong. Um, and, um, and then we went back at, this is the most bizarre thing about this as we went back at week 20 and that embryo had disappeared. So mm. it's called vanishing twin syndrome. And, um, basically jen's body had absorbed it and or or sebi had absorbed it in some way um which i i still now think that's a bit weird (laughs) (laughs) but it's an amazing thing how the body knew there was a long time for obviously um jen's pregnancy to continue so it dealt with what was going on inside Mm -hmm. internally uh and then sebi was born um in March 2016, he was a month early. It was another very emotional day. Basically, um, I'd got up for work because I was working as a teacher at the time, and um, I was sat through on the sofa with these big lazy boy sofas. So I was sat in there, and I heard Kieran, Kieran. And I, was like, oh, I was like, she doesn't need me. She's fine. I'm just eating my cereal. I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to and then, and then it got a bit more panic. I was like, Kieran, Kieran. And I was like, what do you want? Because we only lived in a small flat. She was like, come here now. So I was like, all right, I'm coming, I'm coming. So um, I went through and she got up and the waters had gone and it was it was everywhere. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, this isn't supposed to happen. It's not. A, it's, we've got a month. We've got a month yet. And she was like, you're telling me. You're telling me we've got a month. I haven't even got a bag packed. She kept going, I haven't got my bag packed. So we, we got her into the bath and her waters broke at uh, 10 past seven in the morning. Hmm. And um, at the time, Jen was uh, working as a midwife. Uh, and she was she was trying to figure out how she could keep a, the baby inside her for another month. Because <laughs> she was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But now, like, obviously... She's uh she's reflected on that like it was the impossible task, wasn't it? But uh yeah, so we had a we had a crazy we had a crazy twelve hours, um and in the end uh we had to go into theatre um and Sebi was born uh using forceps. Uh because he didn't tuck his chin as he was coming out, he looked up, which meant that he just basically blocked. He couldn't come out, his head got stuck in our I think got wow. stuck in our pelvis. Um, so they had to go in I mean I, I don't think Jen gets enough credit for this and like uh, or any woman that has to go through it. so they had to go in through the like the vagina. They didn't bring him out the sunroof hmm. had to go in um, and basically manipulate him out with forceps and that and like really intrusive stuff for Jen. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he popped out, they pulled him out. And she was so delirious because obviously they're just kind of, I think it's an epidural. Did they give them into the, into the lower back? Yeah. And um. And I laid her. I laid him on her chest, a bit skin to skin straight away, and she was so out of it. She was like, "Whose baby is this? I don't understand. Where's my where's my child?" Like, uh, and I said to her, "This is our son. This is our son." And I couldn't remember saying it. Like three or four times before she kind of registered it, but she was so like high on everything. She kept asking me, "Is this hers? Is this her son?" Like it was. It was such a crazy twenty minutes. Um, but he because he was born so early here, because he was a month early, he had to go to um, Niku. He went up to Niku. Mm. Um, but a mo- there was a moment before he went up where. He was okay, but they had to keep an eye on him. And they put him in one of those little plastic trays, you know, that they do. It sounds really bad, but like little incubation unit. But it didn't have a roof on it. And I remember walking up there and just holding my hand out and he grabbed my finger. And it was just like a surreal moment of, I've never met you before, but I'll die before anything happens to you. Do you know what I mean? That real kind of moment of this, this, is, this has happened. And that whole, the previous five years or six, well, however long it was, just went away. All that pain, all that everything, everything was worth it for that moment. Anyway, they took Sebi up to, um, up to uh, the, the ward and I checked Jen was all right, but then I went up to Seb's and um, stayed with him for a bit and then they were like, you've got to go now. You've got to go and it was like the hardest thing in the world like i've waited years for this but i've got to leave so i went home and i sat down and i put the tv on it was like i don't know quarter to two in the morning by now because it was like a mental like six hours uh since sibby was born and um i just fell asleep i just remember falling asleep and i woke up in the morning i got a beer out of the fridge. And i hadn't even drunk it i hadn't sipped it nothing i just knocked off asleep <laughs> because i was so exhausted uh, and then there was like a um a week of in and out of the hospital checking they were all right and then we, we 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 got him home eventually um so yeah that was that was the journey to baby number one and it was um it was a difficult one at parts really difficult but, um, like I said, that moment that I met him, it kind of all just vanished. All that yeah. pain vanished for a period of time. You know, that's important to note because um, I was still struggling, like mentally, with a lot of things. But um, things, the, the clouds had definitely started to clear. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was that was to March 2016. I became a dad and... Uh, uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful day for me. And Jen, yeah. obviously, and Jen. <laughs> yeah, she, was she was there. She was there, she had a big <laughs> part to play, mate. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying the first episode of the Male Fertility Podcast. We just want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Exceed Health. Exceed Health are on a mission to improve your chances of becoming a father by making it easier for you to understand your fertility. Using an entirely at home test kit, you are now able to analyze your sperm from the comfort of your own home. Paired with your phone, you're able to see close up images of your sperm and Xseed's analysis gives you results within minutes, showing you the progressive sperm count, which is the number one indicator of male fertility potential. The test comes with a free app, and you're able to follow the in-app plans to try to improve your Motile sperm count with tips that are specifically designed in line with your results and your lifestyle. To get 15% off all XC products visit XC.com and use the promotional code MFP15 that's MFP15 now Let's get back to the show.
1: Mate, that's, um, that's incredible. Like you said, that's just Journey to Baby One, but there's so much to it. And, and like I said, in, like with, with my episode, was, there's so much more to undress. Yeah. Uh, like this is just kind of like the overarching story. But I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you in more depth about in, in, in future episodes. Like, you know, your real nose um, and, you know, saying that you felt suicidal and that. That's quite, you know, a huge thing to say, and especially it's, as we, yeah. as we know the stats of of men, It's what the biggest killer of men under fifty or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's definitely a real thing. Like it's taken me ages to be able to say it out loud, and mm. I've done interviews about my fertility, and I've gone, yeah, I, I really wasn't happy, or I've I've kind of mm. clouded over it, but I think this is the first time I've outly said like hey, I was suicidal. Like there were, yeah. I just didn't know. I didn't see a way out of it
1: the fact that you know you recounted a lot of your pain and, and admitting that as a man you had fertility issues and then there's mm. still things that you you struggle to admit and i had the same okay. thing but on a very similar theme actually in in the, i i was probably two years into sharing my story again about being a, man, a male who is in first well you know i'm you had fertility issues i'm i'm saying that i got zero sperm not saying yeah. that it's any worse or next but that, like the stigma behind it is, is obviously massive. And I've been sharing that for about two years. And it was only this summer that I openly admitted for the first time that I was struggling with, with depression mm. whilst going through it. And yeah. um, because it, it's part of the uh, of grief, it, it's one of the stages. And I was going, oh, yeah, you know, I went through the four stages. Uh, you know, depression well, i more like kind of I was down for a bit. I just couldn't say it. I could not yeah. say it as, and, and and it's funny how there's this, there's these other stigmas. You're admitting one and these other ones that are still seemingly so hard to, to come out you, with.
0: You still hold on to another, like as if like it's a shameful thing and it's not, I, I've kind of been working on this for a while in terms of in my head, in terms of getting to the point of being able to say, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. Um, but it it was bizarre because people like i said that all my pains went away like the journey went the pain of the journey went away when i when i first met seb but i still had a lot to to process um and I, at the moment i'll go on to like you know the journey for baby number 2 but in between that time i was having panic attacks like no one could believe. I'd never had them before. I remember having the first one and wow. I th- I, th- I generally thought I was dying. I thought, what the fuck is going on here? Like everything, it was like all my senses were turned up to like a thousand. My heart was racing. I was like, I can't see her. I can't we we were I was driving, just driving along and I was driving to work. And oh, I was driving to Sebby. I was taking Sebby to nursery. So this was quite a bit of time after it had passed. And it was like, bang. I remember having this this panic attack. And all I wanted to do was get out of the car, just stop the car and get out. But I couldn't because Seb was there. And he's in the back chatting away, like, you know, being like a two-year-old is. And I'm like, inside, all my alarm bells are ringing. I don't know where it's come from and it kept happening it happened for about a year just kept happening kept happening and then that's where like where when covid kicked in like a lot of people you you mentioned last week about how covid was really good for you you and jenna's relationship and being together at that time that you hadn't had and you were able to have that close, like close time together it, covid couldn't come at the best time better time for me it allowed me to press reset like and drastically press it because I'd stop going out again, like I wouldn't even go to um uh, like the supermarket I'd go to work I'd come back that was it. It happened so
1: again have you ever like undressed where that anxiety was coming from then that those panic attacks
0: no no i i i kind of i just put it down to. Like additional layer of processing of what was going on, it was almost like my body, like releasing all this mental stress I've been holding on to. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. The last one I had, I was the school that I work in um, it is is a Quaker school. Uh, we have a, something called an open day, uh, and at the end of the year, each year, everyone goes into the uh, the meeting house and and the head talks to the whole school. Um, and it's quite enclosed. Um, and I was sat on, on one of the rafters right at the top. And I was absolutely fine. I had Seb sat next to me and I had Jen the other side. And then, bang, it just kicked in. And there, was, there must have been like, I don't know, 500 people in this thing. And I'm like, fuck, fuck, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of it. And my head is running wild from being nothing to everything at once. And I managed just to sit there. I don't know how I saw it through. I just sat there and I left that meeting house and I went for a walk and it never happened again. But I've never even like experienced anything like it again. Um, so they seem to have come and gone uh, and but I'm convinced it was just my body releasing that last bit of stress that I was feeling. And then, so now I'll get on to like our next little mini journey to have a second, Mm. second Bubby. So it was, it might've been that in my head, I knew that I hadn't, I hadn't finished having children. Like I wanted another child and while I was having all these panic attacks and other things, I kept having this reoccurring dream. And it's a genuine, like this is how it used to happen. I used to dream that I was walking along the beach and I'm walking into the sun with my eyes shut and I can hear the waves. And then someone takes my hand and I look down and there's a little girl walking along with me and I... It sounds really cheesy in that, but it generally I used to have this reoccurring dream and it was, I used to then wake up and be like, oh, what was that about? Does that mean that? And I went through a really deep processing of it. Like I thought, because I wouldn't say I'm spiritual, but I didn't know whether or not, you don't know what really happens in this world. We don't, we kind of guess, but you don't. And I had a weird kind of thought of, was that because she was around about Sebi's age and I thought is that, was that the twin that we lost? You know, that's generally like, what am I still processing this or is it me kind of set telling myself that I would like a daughter, you know? Um, So yeah, fast forward to, I think it was what summer 2019 we we decided to go again um and in the back of my head i had this dream in my head it, it sounds crazy but it is just how it played out uh and that's when we first went to leeds and we we didn't we didn't feel comfortable there we didn't think it was the right setting for us i think after you've you've been born um it's really you know <laughs> your standards are high <laughs> Uh, I I must have kind of highlighted that we'd already moved. We moved to the north in between this time. Um, Yeah, standards are really high. uh, And we were just like, you know what? Leeds isn't going to cut it for us. So we ended up going to um, care in Sheffield uh, because they actually had like the best statistics um, and best reviews basically about just uh, client care. I know it's, it's in the name, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, uh, felt really at home there. As soon as we got there, we were, we were spoken to as, um, as a couple people that had experienced it. Like we weren't novices. Uh, our opinion was really taken in consideration. Um, and it just felt a lot more, um, comfortable with them when we're in Leeds you know some people might go to Leeds and think that's fine and they're happy with that but we were just looking for something slightly different so in the summer of 2019 uh, we went for a a, a fresh cycle uh, and basically uh, Jen uh, overstimulated um, and we were away in Pickering which is near uh, Scarborough we're in a caravan and um, she said she didn't feel very well. Um, and then, like, it, the shit show hit like nothing else. Like, she was so ill, mate. Like, uh, she thought she was going to die that night because she was so unwell. She just bloated and, like, she majorly overstimulated. So we ended up, you know, um, coming back, getting her into hospital. Um, and they gave us the same kind of spiel as what you explained last last week or a couple of weeks ago, sorry, mate. And it is, it's really hard to see your wife in that situation. Really, really hard, especially when, um, you're rolling the dice because you want to, not because you necessarily need to. And I know there are going to be people here that, you know, listening that find that difficult to hear, but we were trying for another one. Um, So we had the big conversation of, is it, do we just stay at one? Because Jen became so unwell. But after um, some time um, and some reflection, we decided, no, we do want to try it again. And care were amazing. They like brought us in. We had another chat. Um, They approached things completely different. So I think for, for the one that was overstimulated, we had a long protocol. So in terms of stimulation of drugs, now for Sebi, we actually had a short one. So they were like, "Well, shall we try a short protocol and see how it goes?" Um, and I have got this is where I have to refer to my notes, you know, because it, it just it just blurs here. Um, it just didn't work. So we had a fresh overstimulation. From that, um, they had some that had they'd been, they'd been frozen. So then we put those back in and they didn't take. But from that, they still had some left, some frozen left, um, which then in January 2020, they put back in. And Enya came from the two, one of the two they put back in. I have to get my head around this, mate. So basically, we had a frozen. No, We had a fresh to begin with. Jen overstimulated. They froze everything from that. And then we had two put back in initially from a frozen uh, a cycle. Nothing took. And then we had another two put back in. And Enya came from one of them. Cause we got so many eggs from the first, the first lot that's, mm. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, it, it was, it was a lot shorter, but it was very intense. You know, it was quick and, and Jen being unwell, um, really kind of put us on high alert, but yeah. And then the day Enya came was a, a bit crazy in itself. So three weeks before Enya actually arrived, uh, Jen started contracting um, and we thought she was coming. So we'd got the, jim was convinced she was going to have a pool at home, like a birth pool at home. So I'd filled it up. The midwives had come and after five hours or f- three hours, four hours, something like that, it ended up that it was just really strong Braxton Hicks. <laughs> so it was just contractions <laughs> that were getting her body ready. And then three weeks after that, we had a sudden dash. Jen was like, baby's coming. Baby's coming. And it was, it must have been. This started at 11 o'clock at night. And I said, right, well, let's just see what happens. Because we've been here before. Uh, by one o'clock, uh, she was in the car. And we were hammering down to Wakefield, uh, local, local hospital. Um, and we got there. And uh within an hour, I think it's like an hour and a half, hour and fifteen minutes, Enya you arrived. So she came quick. Um <laughs> so yeah, that's the journey to uh to baby number two. It's a bit shorter than the other one, just because my head was in a lot better place. Um yes, I had those panic attacks, but they had stopped. Uh and it, it was it was a bizarre thing when I first met Enya because I felt like I'd finally met the little girl in my dreams. And uh, I always say that like, Jen found me. Sebi saved me. And then um, Enya completed me. You know, it's, um, I really think about it. And that's how my how my journey kind of ended. Um, I still felt like there was a bit to deal with emotionally. Um, so I, I kind of reached out. Uh, And I found the Hymn Fertility Group and I became a member of that. And that helped. I think during that, going to those meetings, I I kind of transitioned from someone who was there looking for support to someone who could support. And that really kind of came to a head uh, when I went to Everest uh, Base Camp with the Hymn Fertility Group. When I got to Base Camp, Um, Ian was walking around, Ian Stones was walking around uh, with with a camera and he was trying to get pictures of us all while we were there. And he was like, you're going to say something for the camera? And I was so emotional. I was like, I can't mate, just just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I was really blunt. I was like, just leave me alone, man. <laughs> and I went and sat on a rock and looked up at Everest and I and I had a few tears to myself. I was like, everything I've been through over the last 10 years has brought me to this moment. Mm. And then I got up from that rock and I went back to the group and it was another one of those transitions and phases in life where the guy that went over to that rock was a different guy. It was a different guy to the one that came back. You know, I, my brain had clicked I, I, and mm. I feel free of all the anxieties and all the discomforts linked to that now. And it, it happened at that moment, um, well, from my fertility journey. So it kind of had a nice ending for me like it had a specific point. I remember. So yeah, it was, well, it was a one well, hell of a 10 year journey.
1: <laughs> Mate, that's that's um That's quite a story. It is. It's incredible. And like I said, there's so much I, I can't wait to, to unpack and address more. I mean, and like, you know, I mentioned about your strength in admitting what you went through and, and how you felt mm. also stuff like that. You just kind of drop in there that, oh, Jen was a, a midwife throughout yeah. that and, like, and how incredibly tough that must have been for her and then coming home and then it just increases that, that guilt that you must've been feeling. And that's wow. You know, so much to talk about like and so many similarities I resonate with as well throughout what you were saying.
0: You know, like, as I've said to you, like off oh, air, it wasn't until I wrote all this down that I was like, man, that's, that's a busy 10 years. Uh, you know no wonder I was feeling it you know you know ultimately I, I got what I wanted from it in terms of my children but I generally think I'm a better human being for going through it like I am I'm a yeah. better I am a better father for it I'm a better husband um I'm just a better friend a better son um a better brother you know all those things that even though other people might not see it all the time, Decisions that I make and things that I do now are very carefully thought out and not not spontaneous. Like, I, I, I'm not like that anymore. Um, so, yeah, although it was a stressful one, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I really wouldn't change a thing. Because um, ultimately, it, it's made me into the person I am. And, uh, yeah, you've, you've you've just got to look at it like that look at it like that mm-hmm.
1: that's exactly what i say absolutely what i say and, and it's true and and you know look at the strength that you've shown and are showing every day to to keep showing up and being who you are because of what you went through and you know you hit the real lows like you talk about a couple of key points that came up for me one being that christmas like wow like that and then to, to Come, come from that point to where you are now it's, it's quite incredible, mate.
0: Cheers, man. It's um, it's really strange when I look at it on reflection. Like it's a lot to go through, uh, and just take every day as it comes. Now, like I live in the moment. Don't worry about the future. The future will look after itself. That's something I learned. But it's very hard to do that when you're um in, a, in a, such a stressful situation.
1: So um, one thing I was wondering actually from, from when you were chatting away was, so when you made those lifestyle changes, um, and cut out booze and, and as we know like kind of then went into more fertility friendly fitness yeah. regimes, um, like what happened to your sperm health after that?
0: So my sperm health went from fifteen hundred uh, viable sperm with a one one percent. Oh no, 1,500 sperm with 1% viable or less than 1%. Hmm. It, uh, it went to 4 million uh, with uh, over 4% viable, which is a drastic increase. <laughs> like it, it really improved. God, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and even though I still needed ICSI treatment, uh, you know, we openly had the, con- the conversations with the consultant of whatever I was doing drastically improved the quality of my sperm. And yeah. even though there wasn't the 20 million that everyone's supposed to have, the ones that were there and the ones that were viable um, were much, much better quality. And I, they grade them. Did they grade them double A? Is it double A's? I've forgotten what the top grade is. I'm not but sure. Basically, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know, we, mate. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, um, but they, um, yeah, they basically um, – said like they couldn't be any better and it's because of mm-hmm. what we Brilliant. put into place um but that in itself is a journey and i'll talk about that another yeah. time but um yeah, a, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's not
1: an overnight fix no. but there's a lot a lot to talk about and, and that's an important really important message to get across to people who have got that chance of turning things around because as you know from, from what you do now lifestyle plays a massive massive, massive Role in infertility is, and and modern lifestyles are not conducive with with good fertility, especially not for men. And there was a program on Channel Four recently, actually, wasn't there about it that our our current lifestyles with how much we sit down, which is then overheating our balls because they're then stuck between our thighs more. The things we're eating, the lack of exercise, the microplastics in our diet, the all all of the hormonal disruptors out there. And these these are all things that can be changed yeah. with, with more of a conscious effort. And, and like you said,
0: you know, booze huge. It's a, it's a massive oh. thing. Like um, yeah. if if someone was listening to this and they were thinking, "What can I do to like immediately improve my fertility, or uh, or at least give it the best possible go?" I'd say cut your booze out. And if you're a smoker, stop smoking. Yeah, like yeah. to they you you're basically poisoning the body. Um. Mm-hmm. The rest of it can be all built around, but you can make the decision to stop boozing now, you know.
1: Yeah, I did, even though I knew there was very little chance of it of finding any sperm. I you have to do everything you you, you can yeah. to give yourself. Like, I didn't want any regrets, so I kicked it for 19 weeks, yeah. um, it's, and including through, through Christmas, yeah. and like you know, went, went to Christmas parties and drinking non alcoholic beers, and just, like. It's just I had people literally. I had a colleague refuse to buy me one.
0: Sad, didn't it?
1: you' like if you're not, but yeah, he goes if you're not having a proper beer, I won't buy you one. Thought he was joking, didn't? didn't. But again, that's something that 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 society. That's a lot. That that's uh, and that's often what men going through fertility battles yeah. face, yeah. and and that's again something which we have so much to oh,
0: talk about. It's there's just so much, mate. There's so many layers of this. Um. But yeah, that's my story. I hope it came across all right. I, I have a habit of just gabbling, so uh, I'm sure it did. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm I'm just hope that someone can take something from it, that, that, you know, uh, and uh, and get something well, out of it. They need. I can
1: I can guarantee that it will because it it did blow my mind, and and it makes me um, feel really privileged and honored to share this space with you and to know you quite frankly cheers
0: mate i really appreciate that and to you like your story a couple of weeks ago was fantastic and i think um the more we talk hopefully the more stories people will come and tell us because that's what we're here to hear yeah. um uh, yeah it's been a it's been a great evening yeah. mate. i've really enjoyed it
1: absolutely me too and you um that's quite a smooth transition we, we are, we're getting better we're getting
0: slightly better um, aren't we it, it,
1: <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned people telling us. Well, please do get in contact and you can do that uh, through Instagram, which is at The Male Fertility Podcast or email, which is, that's that's your role. That is
0: mine, at The Male Fertility Podcast at gmail.com. There you go. Yeah. We are getting smoother with this,
1: mate. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Kieran, that was was powerful and I'm looking forward to deconstructing that, that journey into every step of the way because there's so much learning to come from that for, for, for me for everyone else listening
0: and um, yeah thank you for sharing cheers, that. Man. and um, I guess at that point we'll, uh, we'll say goodnight and uh, we'll see everyone next time
1: yeah see you then Take cheers
0: care. bye